Hello, it's Steve Busby, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And we are very excited to bring you a Royals Hall of Famer today. As Steve Busby joins us on Clubhouse Conversation, Buzz, of course, threw two no-hitters for the Royals, and he won 20 games in a season before the age of 25. A two-time All-Star, Steve Busby, pitched for KC from 1972 to 1980. Of course, now does TV work for the Texas Rangers. Excited to have him. Steve Busby, how are you doing? Everything is good. Thank you very much. Of course, of course. Great to have you here on Clubhouse Conversation. You're one of the uh, few former players who exclusively does play-by-play. And then, so somebody like myself who's done broadcasting for all these years, I'm interested to hear what the parallels are, you know, between uh, baseball and broadcasting, you know, as far as perfecting your craft. So how much of a challenge has it been for you to do that? And then who are some of your broadcasting mentors? Well, the, the challenge really uh, is, is just getting into a rhythm and, and developing your own, your own skills, your own style. Uh, and that just takes time. I, there's no shortcut to it. Um, and I've been doing this now for uh, 34 years, I guess it is. So it's, you know, and, and I'm, I'm getting more and more comfortable. There's still a lot of things that I, that I work on that I'm trying to learn, that I, that I learn from people I work with or, or listen to. Um, when I first started out, I was very fortunate. I had one of the, one of the all-time greats in broadcasting, Merle Harmon, uh, that I was paired with down here in Texas. And Merle made it a point to uh, get me to learn how to do play-by-play and help him out uh, during ballgames. He didn't want to have to do nine innings of play-by-play. Um, so the first spring training that we worked together, uh, he and I went out to games that we weren't broadcasting and took a tape recorder, and, and Merle made me do five, six, seven innings of play-by-play. And then we'd go back to the hotel after the game and listen to it. He critiqued me and give me pointers and, and – uh, really got me going and you know, if it hadn't been for somebody like that taking the time and and making the effort to um, help me get settled into being a, a broadcaster I never would have done it uh, you know Merle was one of the nicest people in the world and and uh, you don't find many people in in this business or uh, for that matter in, in most competitive businesses that are willing to to take the time to train somebody else and and help them advance themselves well, you've definitely done that, and it was a little bit sad for me here, uh, hearing you do that U Darvish game the other you know other week. That's what twice now he's almost had no hitters. You've had to announce, right? Yeah, three times actually. He's lost uh, uh, he lost the two of them, uh, the perfect game, and and uh, last year, and then then the, the uh, no hitter this time in the ninth inning with two outs, and uh, last year also against the Astros, he lost a no hitter in the eighth inning, and. Uh, you know he's come close. He's uh, uh, he, he will get one. He has that kind of stuff, and uh, it's just been it's been a real pleasure to watch him develop. You obviously see the Royals quite a bit. You know from spring training to a few times during the season. What are your thoughts on this uh, this team currently and its upside? Well, I, I think they've they've spent a lot of years trying to develop uh, some good young players, and they've finally done it uh, and gotten. I say done it. They they've developed them and gotten them to the big leagues to help them out, you know, Mike Moustakas and Eric Hosmer and, and Alex Gordon and um, 
the folks like that, uh, there was a lot of upside to them for the last several years, and now that's paying off. And they finally found uh, found a way to uh, surround them with some pretty good pitching. Uh, the trade for Shields made a big difference in their in their starting rotation. So, you know, I think it's coming together for them. It's just unfortunate right now they're in the same division with probably the hottest team in baseball in the Detroit Tigers. They're playing really well. But I, I like what the Royals have done, and I'm glad to see they have uh, been able to turn that corner. So let's go way back for you, speaking of the Royals, but let's go back even before that. You were a second-round pick of the Royals in 71 out of USC, but then going back even further, you were a fourth-round pick in 67, but chose to go to college to play football mainly. So which sport was your favorite growing up, and were you almost as good at football as you were baseball? Oh, I, I you know, I, being completely honest about it, no, probably not. I, <laughs> I, I love football. I, I like football better than I did baseball, and I think one of the reasons was that uh, – uh, my dad played uh, played football at, at USC, and and uh, you know that was really my passion. I, I grew up wanting to do that, uh, feeling like it was almost my destiny. But uh, you know, I, I think realistically that I was a better baseball player than I than I ever would have been a football player. And things tend to work out the way they're supposed to if you just kind of stand back and and let them do that. And that was the case for me. It uh, uh, you know I had the, the two knee injuries. Um, before I before I ever got to SC, and uh, uh, that kind of determined that uh, football was not gonna not gonna work out. And uh, as things turned out, it worked out best playing playing baseball. What was it like winning the College World Series in 1971? Yeah, it was tremendous. Uh, we had won it the year before, um, and I was uh, I was on the team, but I didn't I didn't pitch in the in the College World Series. And then being involved in the in the 71 uh, series title game was really great. I mean, that was the highlight of, uh, of my career, and, and until I uh, got to the major leagues with the Royals and, and we won our first division, that was uh, the highlight of my, of my baseball career, and uh, it's still right up there with the best of them. Were the Royals the team that you expected to pick you in 1971, and then what do you remember about uh, the day you were drafted, where you were at and all that? You know, I had no idea who was going to draft me. I, it was, uh, there wasn't nearly as much uh, communication either through the media or uh, or team to player uh, as there is now uh, through agents and that kind of thing. So I, I didn't have any idea. Um, I was in uh, Boulder, Colorado. I was pitching for the uh, Boulder Collegians in the summer league team, and uh, got a call from uh, from John Cherholz, who was the assistant farm director, uh, saying that uh, they drafted me and and uh, you know could we get together and and uh, and talk about uh, maybe signing and so I. Uh, uh, talked to John a couple times, and then uh, the late Lou Gorman talked to me, and eventually uh, went ahead and, and, and signed with them. Uh, it was um, about the middle of June, I guess, that year that I ended up signing with the Royals. You started your uh, professional career off that same summer, then as a San Jose B. You went four and one with a zero point six eight. ERA. So they were only a Royals affiliate from seventy to seventy four. What do you remember about uh, your days as a B, and then what was that park like there? Uh, the park was great. I mean, it was a it was a real good pitchers park. It was it was pretty big and and uh, kind of cool air up there in in San Jose most evenings. So it was great to pitch in. But uh, you know, getting into professional baseball was really uh, kind of a shock to the nervous system. You know, you think you've you played uh, pretty good baseball in college and gotten used to travel and things like that, but when you have to go to the park every day and put the uniform on and and uh, uh, you are doing it as a job. It changes your whole outlook. Uh, 
start saying, well, gee, many Christmas, you know, this, this is what I do for a living now. And, and it's, it's a complete metamorphosis from being an amateur and, and playing the game for fun, even though you're trying to win every game, to knowing that as a professional you have to uh, have winning as the, as the main goal, the only goal uh, of a professional. So it's, uh, it, it's a complete change, and it's a little bit of a shock. It takes me getting used to uh, about going to the park every day and, and being around a bunch of guys that that uh, are helping you and uh, you know you're you're playing for them uh, in in essence uh, along with with them. Well, you were great in 1972 in Omaha, and then by the end of that year, you got kind of a surprise call up when Dick Drago broke his jaw. You made your debut on September 8th through a CG against the Twins. Uh, what do you remember about that first day? Boy, it was kind of a blur. Be quite honest, I uh, got called up. As you say, I, you know, I, I was on my way back to California uh, after the AAA season at Omaha ended, and uh, got a call, and and you know they explained that the Drago had gotten hurt and they needed me to come to the big leagues. And ecstatic uh, is an understatement. Um, surprised is also an understatement. I mean, I was, uh, I was completely, uh, uh, completely dumbfounded by that by that opportunity, and and. Uh, Getting getting to Kansas City and trying to find a place to to stay and um, you know settle in a little bit, get to the ballpark, and uh, it was a real blur in the first the first few days. And um, just you know, fortunately, I I pitched uh, the last day I think it was of the uh, of the Triple A season, so I hadn't had a whole lot of time off. I was still in pretty good shape and and uh, got to the park and Bob Lemon said you're throwing tomorrow. I think is what it was. <laughs> And uh, so there wasn't a whole lot of time to think about it. I mean, I just, you know, got my stuff and, and uh, got ready for that game the next day and and uh, got it out of the way in a hurry. Yeah, well, you had some more fun moments that year, like three base hits in a game against California, the only three of your career. Now, you also hit a grand slam off Roy Allen that never counted because of, from what we understand up here, split. I've heard Ryan Lefevre tell the story, <laughs> his, his version of it several times. But what's your version of the story, and is it true that it took a major surgery for this to be confirmed? Yeah, well, it, uh, it was kind of a, a long ordeal, as a matter of fact. But uh, uh, we were playing a, in Anaheim, and it was the first time. I'm, I'm from Fullerton, which is right next to the city, right next to Anaheim. So I had... Uh, 55 or more 60 uh, passes out fans, friends and, and family and, and everybody out there. And uh, Started that night and that was the first time that I pitched uh, as a professional in front of my in front of my folks. So uh, it was kind of a big evening and uh, got started in the first inning. John Mayberry hits a grand slam in the first inning off of uh, Rudy May. And we continue the inning and it gets down. There was a close call at at first base, uh, um, Ed Kirkpatrick uh, was intentionally walked in to uh, to load the bases for me, and uh, the guys on the bench were still getting on John Rice, who was the first base umpire, uh, about the call at first base. And just as uh, Lloyd Allen threw the first pitch to me, apparently John Rice had had enough, so he called timeout to throw three or four guys off the bench, and uh, that was the pitch I hit into our bullpen, and. Getting about halfway down the line, I, I looked up and, and saw John Rice was holding his hands up, walking toward our, our bench, and I didn't know what to think. I, it, uh, it, it took a minute for it to register. By the time I got to the first base bag, I understood that, that uh, it, it was not good as far as I was concerned. So He went over and threw a bunch of guys off the bench, and 
there wasn't really much discussion after the game about who had said what. The, the only thing I knew was that uh, guys had said all they did was suggest that John Rice, who was a, a fairly good good size uh, umpire, might have his tailor put an extra panel in his coat. <laughs> and apparently, uh, that didn't set too well with uh, with John Rice, and I'm sure whatever else was said along with that kind of set the table for him. But anyway, he decided he needed to clear off our bench. And as things went on, uh, uh, the next year uh, I got paired with, with Paul Splitorf uh, as my roommate. And uh, we became very, very good friends over the years. And after I had my shoulder surgery in 1976, I was uh, lying in bed out, out in Sentinel Valley Hospital out in uh, L.A. And uh, the Royals came in to play the Angels. And Split came over to the hospital to, to see me and walked in the hospital room. And I'm I'm strapped up. My arm is strapped to my chest. And I'm uh, uh, still kind of woozy from uh, from all the medication they were giving me. And, and he walks in and, and sits down and, and uh, you know, asks how I was, how I was doing, and kind of made some small talk. He said, hey, i got I got to fess up to you. And he told me the story about uh, uh, about what he had said, and he, he hid behind uh, somebody as he was yelling it. Um, he was the one that, that suggested to Rice about the tailor. And... Um, he said, "I, you know, I, I feel terrible about it, and you know this, and yeah, I was, I was completely out of it, uh, and I so I, yeah, whatever." <laughs> and then I finally, uh, I don't know, it's, it was a month later, or so I finally came to and and uh, uh, realized what he told me, and I, I, I had to corner him about it. He said, "Hey, I'm, yeah, I figured you're not, you're not going to come back and pitch anymore anyway, so I might as well tell you and get it out of the way. We're not going <laughs> to, not going to have to worry about rooming together." So. That was that was kind of my impetus to get back and, and pitch in the major league level, just so I could room in the beginning and give them a hard time. <laughs> That's awesome. So while we're on the topic of split, then obviously you know an entire backbreaker for Royals Nation when he passed away way too young. Um, talk about what kind of man split was and what you remember most about him. Well, he he ended up being my best friend and and uh, a guy that I, I it, to me. Uh, being the first uh, pitcher that the, the Royals ever developed in his farm system to to make it to the major leagues, uh, the work ethic that he had, uh, his willingness to uh, do anything for the organization in the community, uh, you know, with the with the the game of baseball and just his devotion to the Royals and, and to the game of baseball, I, you know, a tremendous tremendous man. He was a great husband, a great father, and uh, a great friend to me and. Uh, you know, I wish the Royals had been able to do uh, to do more for him. And uh, you know, I really think, considering all he did, the first twenty game winner they had, and uh, his number should be retired uh, along with George's. And, and uh, I just, I, I hope that one day that happens for him. He was a hell of a broadcaster too, like you, huh? I grew up with him, watching him doing, you know, basketball. Yeah, great broadcaster. He really, like everything else, he worked his tail off at it. He decided he wanted to do that after he got through playing, and. Uh, uh, you know, he worked, you probably know the stories, uh, working from doing high school uh, football and, and basketball and whatever else you could find to do and, and uh, right on up. I mean, he paid his dues as a broadcaster just as he did as a baseball player. So that next season, 1973, you played for Jack McKeon again after, you know, have done so there in Omaha. What was it like playing for him again? Well, you know, I knew what to expect. He, he knew me, I knew him, and... Uh, uh, it was it was a fairly comfortable uh, relationship. I was just trying to settle into the to the major leagues. And, uh, had some rough spots, and 
you know, Jack was uh, well aware of, of what I'd done the year before. I kind of started off the same way in my pitch form at AAA. So he, it was not unexpected for me to get off to a slow start with him. But uh, he was able to kind of guide me through that. And Cookie Rojas helped tremendously. Uh, Cookie really taught me what it was like to uh, to compete at the major league level. And I, uh, to this day, uh, every time I see Cookie, I have to thank him because without without his input, without his kicking the rear end a couple times, uh, I don't think I would have would have figured it out on my own. That year also as well, 1973, you went 16-15, and 15 and you threw the first no-hitter in Royals history against Detroit on April 28th. So I always wonder when you think back to warming up on those days, because a lot of pitchers will say, oh, I didn't even have that good of a bullpen. I wasn't feeling that good. Is that kind of how it was? Were you just shocked? Well, yeah, I was shocked that it happened. Uh, I, I never paid much attention to how I felt the bullpen. Uh, I think that's kind of a, a lost cause for me anyway. Uh, very, very rarely do you have the same. Do you think you have the same stuff in the bullpen that you actually do when you get to the mound? So it, it just didn't make much sense to, for me to, to uh, depend on a bullpen to evaluate my stuff. Uh, it was one of those nights. It was a cold night in Detroit, and uh, it was an older Detroit team, the same team that won in '68 and '70. Uh, they didn't really feel like swinging the bats. I was wilder than a March Hare. I think I walked six guys in that ball game. So, you know, every time I threw a strike, it was a surprise. And it, uh, to me, it kind of points up how, how ludicrous some of the some of the no hitters are that the guys throw. That uh, you know, you walk six people, don't give up a hit, and all of a sudden it's a, it's a great game. And I just uh, that's crazy to me. It was. Uh, uh, kind of a statistical anomaly that it worked out that way. But it did, and I certainly wouldn't give it back. 1974 was kind of a rough year for the team. You guys finished in fifth place. Um, you did make your first All-Star appearance, though, that year after going 22-14 and 14 with a 3-3-9. 20 complete games and 292 and a third innings pitched, which just floors me. How in the world did you throw that many innings? Yeah, that's what our job was. Um, you know, I... I, I think at that time all of us were raised that uh, in the game of baseball, the starting pitchers were supposed to, uh, you know, pitch nine innings. I mean, that's uh, that was how long the game lasts, and and uh, you're supposed to go out there and do your job for nine innings or or more if necessary. And if you can't make it, then somebody from the pen comes in. But uh, we just had a mindset of uh, of pitching innings, not not numbers of pitches. And uh, you know, it worked out that uh, twenty of the thirty whatever it was, 36, 37 starts, I was able to complete and, and do my job halfway well. You also threw your second no-hitter that year on June 9th at Milwaukee. Now, there were two great defensive plays that night, um, the one everyone remembers by Cookie, but then also George Brett made a great defensive play. Talk about those two. Yeah, George uh, was in the uh, sixth inning. Uh, Don Money uh, was up, no, the seventh inning, I guess, the sixth inning. Last out of the sixth inning, and, and uh, Don Money hit a hit a ball right behind the bag at third and deep down the line that George backhanded as he was falling into foul territory, threw across the diamond to get Money by about a quarter of a step. That that was the darnest play I I'd seen George make, and and maybe to this day I've seen George make. He, and he's made some great ones, but well, that thing he, he had to throw it 100 and, 150, 160 feet, and he threw it on the line to Mayberry, and uh, that certainly preserved it. Uh, Cookie Rojas made the last out of the eighth inning. Uh, Bob Hansen was uh, was a pinch hitter, a left-handed hitter. He rolled one into the hole between first and second, and Cookie drove uh, headlong out in the, out in the outfield grass, about 20 feet out in the grass, 
and uh, snared the ground ball, and then from his knees he threw out uh, Hanson. And uh, those two plays really really kept it going. Amos Otis made a great play uh, earlier in the ballgame, running down a, a fly ball in the alley in right center field. Huh. Well, have have you seen uh, Bill James made that formula to predict how likely a starting pitcher is to throw a no hitter? Have you heard about that? You know, I've I've heard about all the statistical uh, aberrations that guys are coming up with. Yeah, but yeah. I haven't seen that that particular. Line. Yeah, he says you're the least likely of the guys who threw two to ever do it. So I don't know. That probably makes it more gratifying. Hopefully, or no, no. It's just, uh, <laughs> it shows you how ridiculous stats are when yeah. you try to get down to the specific. Uh, specific instances yeah right so then you were an all-star again in 75 you won 18 and 12 3.08 18 complete games 260 innings pitch but then you guys just barely missed the playoffs again um you know for the third time right behind oakland but then whitey herzog took over his manager that year in july uh, what was it like playing for whitey no whitey was a great manager he uh, he was a, a real pleasure to play for it whitey was uh, not, not only did he handle people well he was a great people person but uh, he was the best judge of talent I've ever been around. He could look at a guy, watch a guy play, and uh, seemingly no matter what position he played, and have a, a pretty strong opinion of the guy's upside, the guy's uh, liabilities, you know, what he was going to do. And, and uh, he, he was incredible at that. But uh, playing for Whitey was a real joy. It, uh, it was a pleasure. And it, it took somebody like Whitey, I think, with that ball club to get it over the hump because. Uh, we, as you mentioned, you know, we kind of beat our heads against the wall for several years against Oakland, and uh, I think it took uh, took Whitey's personality handling the club to to get us over that hump. 1976 was a great year for the team, but kind of a bad memory individually for you. You were diagnosed with a torn rotator cuff in just 13 starts. Had that experimental surgery. So just to confirm, you were the first one to ever have rotator cuff surgery, right? Yeah, yeah, first one that uh, first active pitcher. They ever had that? Uh, they they'd done it on uh, uh, Dr. Job had done it on people who play tennis and and uh, you know other other people that that he knew that the uh, surgery would work as far as getting back uh, full use of the shoulder, but whether it would be good enough to uh, to pitch again with he wasn't sure. Huh. Well, you guys finally made the playoffs that year. You outlasted Oakland finally. I know you weren't in the field at that time, but uh, but how good of a feeling was that to know that your guys had been in the you know made the playoffs? Yeah, that was the that was the the highlight of my career, and uh, I'll never forget sitting in the uh, uh, the press box after uh, the game on the last Saturday night of the season. Uh, we had lost; I think we played Minnesota and, and lost, and Oakland was playing out on the West Coast. And uh, if they had they had won, we would have had a one game lead with one game one game to play. Uh, Oakland lost, and we we listened to the game uh, piped into the. Uh, to the press box and uh, started the celebration then because we, we won our first division title. And, you know, all of us uh, uh, had grown up together at the major league level, and uh, we, we formed a, a very, very close bond <clears throat> as a group of guys who really, uh, you know, put it all on the line every every day out and, and had gotten very close as a team. And to see everybody succeed at that one moment and uh, have all the, all the hard work and everything else come together was it was the best feeling you could ever have. 1977, you made just one appearance as you recovered there in Daytona Beach at the minor league level. And then 1978 was a little bit better. You uh, made it up to rookie ball, Omaha, and then back to KC again. So how hard was the rehab, and then how rewarding was it for you to get back to the big leagues in 78? Well, the, the rehab, it's, 
you know, anybody that's gone through any kind of uh, uh, lengthy rehab, <clears throat> I'll tell you, that's the most boring thing in the world, and it is. Uh, you know, you, you have to readjust your uh, uh, your focus uh, a lot of times to to keep it going, and it's just uh, you know, it's day to day drudgery uh, most of the time, and you have to keep in mind that what you're trying to do is is get back to to what you love doing. That's pitching at the at the major league level and uh, push yourself a little bit. But it was a long time. It was uh, almost two years um, of fighting things, of, of having setbacks, of, of feeling great about how things were going, and have it knocked out, knocked down again. To get back to the major league level uh, and get the opportunity to pitch one more time was uh, was ecsta- I, I was ecstatic about it. Well, you pitched fairly well in 79. You went 6-6 six and six in the 3.63 and then just got in 11 games in 1980. So you went to St. Louis prior to 81, but then retired before playing in the big leagues with them, making you a lifetime Royal. So how special is that for you, you know, even today to look back and know that you spent your whole career in a Royals uniform? Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're the ones that, that signed me, that, that developed me, and, and gave me the opportunities. And, I, uh, you know, there's obviously a very special place in my heart for the Royals organization that, and everybody that I played for, I uh, I can't say enough good things about uh, the late Ewing Coffin and, and the organization that he built. Uh, it was a great organization, and uh, uh, you know I hope I hope we did them proud by uh, by eventually winning things. And, uh, I just it's a time in my life that could never be replaced, and it's probably the happiest time in my life. Is there a favorite game that you pitched in or played in? Um, are the no hitters your two favorite, or is there a game that no one ever talks about that you like the best when you look back? Um, no, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't really single out games to look back. I, there's nothing that comes to mind when, uh, when I think about games that I pitched in that, uh, uh are real special. I, you know, obviously the, the, uh, the games that we beat Oakland, uh, when we were trying to catch them, uh, were important, but, uh, nothing really sticks out that, uh, that I could, that I could tell you that are, you know, real special for me. What does it mean uh, for you being in the Royals Hall of Fame? Uh, it's a tremendous honor. I, you know, I, uh, to have uh, <clears throat> have the chance to go in along with Amos as the first two uh, in, the, in the Hall is uh, really special. I uh, I can't think of a higher honor that I or an honor that I would place more value on than than uh, being in the Royals Hall of Fame. It just uh, it's kind of verification that. Uh, you know what we did. What I did was was worthwhile. It, it contributed to uh, to winning uh, Royals ball clubs, and, and I'm really happy about it. Are you happy with how your bobblehead turned out? How they made you look in that? Oh yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's great. Any, anything that uh, you don't have to put a mask on so you can look at it is great. I, <laughs> no, I, I think that's great. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. I uh, that was a that was a special night too. To have my family up there with me and, and really enjoy that. I'm sure. Well, before we let you go, you've been very generous with your time. Um, I'd like to ask you about uh, five of your teammates who we've lost uh, throughout the years, too young, and there's not a lot written about them, um, just so we can keep them remembered. Uh, what memories do you have about uh, Tony Salida, both as a player and a man? Oh, Tony was a, a gentle giant. Boy, he was uh, a great teammate, uh, always supportive, always upbeat, uh, always had a smile on his face, and uh, the man could hit. Boy, he, was, he had... He had hands uh, like big ham hocks. Boy, he wrapped those things around a bat, and he could make a bat sing. But uh, a great person, and uh, it was a real privilege for me to get to play with him because he was he was a fine, fine man. How about Joe Horner? Yeah, Joe Horner was great. Joe was uh, uh, a crusty veteran, if you will, when we 
when he came over and played with us. But he taught us a lot. Uh, Joe had been on, on championship teams before and uh, with St. Louis specifically. And he brought the stories over and, and brought the ethic over of showing up every day and, and uh, you know, busting it and, and leaving everything on the field, if you will. Uh, and Joe was a great influence on us. He, uh, he provided a lot of, uh, a lot of great uh, background and information for us. How about Bruce Del Canton? Bruce was super. I, you know, Bruce um, uh, ended up being a pitching coach and, and uh, a long-time pitching coach. And while he was with us, he was kind of like a pitching coach for us, too. He developed that knuckleball, and, and uh, you know, I, the one thing I think about when I think about Bruce is the uh, perseverance, going through arm problems and, and still pitching and, and finding ways to uh, uh, use guile and, uh, and experience to get people out. Uh, Bruce was, was that kind of competitor. It was great to be on his team. How about the hometown guy, Steve Mingori? Mingo's something. He, uh, uh, he had a great personality. He was a a real tough competitor, but he'd, he'd also end up cracking you up about something. I, he'd say something or just completely off the wall, and you, and you couldn't help but laugh. And usually it was times when, when things were a little bit tight uh, during competition or, or what have you. Uh, guys needed something to, to be uplifted by, and Mingo would always come up with it. A, a funny, funny man who uh, really could pitch. Didn't get a whole lot of credit for what he did, but and he could, he could really pitch, and he got some big outs for us. And the last guy, you played with him very briefly, so you may not remember a lot, but uh, do you remember Aurelio Lopez at all? No, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to play with him. Uh, played against him a bit, but uh, never really got a chance to know him at all. Very cool. Well, in closing, what would you like to say to Royals fans? Well, I, I, you know, I, first of all, hang in there. Uh, things are getting better uh, right about now, and, and uh, you know, the Royals for the next – Several years are going to have very, very good ball clubs, and I wouldn't be surprised if they got back to the postseason. But uh, I, I would just like to add thanks for all the support over the years. The Rose fans are the best in the world about uh, coming out and supporting their guys. And uh, keep up that. It's, uh, it's been a great tradition uh, since 1969 in Kansas City with the Royals and their fans, and uh, uh, it, can't be, it, it couldn't have been a better relationship than I felt than with the fans of Kansas City. Well, hopefully we'll see the Royals and Rangers in the ALCS soon. How about that? <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be great. Thanks so much for your time, Buzz, and for all the memories and everything, and, uh, and take care. You're welcome, Dave. Thank you. Have a great day. Uh, you too.